As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Max Verstappen already has one hand on a second consecutive world championship with an 80 point lead over Charles Leclerc. So, are we now in the Verstappen era, and what more can we expect from a driver who has already racked up 28 F1 victories? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and many more are Scott Mitchell and special guest Eric Van Haren. Well, let's start by welcoming Eric Van Haren to the podcast for the first time. Eric is Formula One correspondent for Dutch newspaper De Telegraph and is therefore across all things Max Verstappen. I'm hoping, Eric, that you can not only correct my terrible Dutch pronunciation but also act as a bit of a balance to the terrible British bias we're constantly being accused of when it comes to Verstappen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the pronunciation was not too bad, I have to say. I heard it uh, worse, in the, especially in the Formula One paddock, so it's, um, it's okay. I was hoping that Ed's first question would be, what does the telegraph translate to in English? <laughs> Yeah, we can just about guess that one. But uh, yeah, for those who don't know, a major newspaper, The Telegraph, that's about the limit of my insight on uh, on the, the, the Dutch media uh, industry. But uh, Scott Mitchell, you've already heard from, but I've got to ask Scott, how's the August break treating you? Yeah, very relaxing. Uh, not, not really much going on. It's been quite serene since we um, left the Hungara Ring paddock. So can't complain. It's been nice and, and quiet apart from, you know, the absolute maelstrom that is the driver market, but it's always a bit fun when that goes off, so can't really complain. Exactly. Well, there's always some time for a little bit of a break, even in amongst that with a mandatory shutdown. But let's get on with talking about Max Verstappen. And Eric, we do have some listeners in the Netherlands, but most listening to this will be limited to seeing the Orange Army out in force at races in terms of judging how big a phenomenon Verstappen is there. So just how big a star is Verstappen in the Netherlands? Well... Um, it's not the first time I got that question, but I'm still surprised a little bit. I'm following Formula One since 
2017 or something and the the, the orange army we see i i only knew it bef- uh, because of the the dutch national football team and as you know when max came up in formula one the dutch national football team was going down we didn't uh, manage to come uh, to the euro 16 and the world championship in 18 but um, yeah of course for an individual sportsman i never see something like this there were people saying after one, two, three years, maybe it's on hype, it's going down again. But I think it's still, you're still raising the bar if you look at fan perspective. I think it's, we see this year in Austria and Hungary. And um, yeah, I think we will see it, of course, in Belgium, in Zandvoort, as well in Singapore. We saw it last year in Abu Dhabi with thousands of Dutch fans coming only for that race. Um, so yeah, I think people like him. They like him his racing style, but also they like him as a character. He's quite straightforward, and they they like that. Um, so yeah, for sure, he's the biggest sportsman in the Netherlands, without any doubt. We see it in the numbers at our website. Uh, people, everyone knows Max Verstappen in the Netherlands. Uh, so even if you don't watch Formula One or you don't like Formula One, people know him. It's incredible how much of a phenomenon he's become as someone who um, tends to let his stuff on the track do the talking. I know he is outspoken and honest. Very, very honest off track, and uh, Eric mentioned there that that probably lends itself to that that support and following as well. Because I can see him just being someone that's so easy to get behind. You just love that style on track and and off it. But as as he's not someone who goes out of his way to cultivate an image, he you know he's not massively prominent on social media. I'm I've seen some of the stuff that he does in the Netherlands, for for example, and when he does engage with fans, he does seem to to get into it and, and do it properly. But it's not like there's a Max Verstappen brand initiative on all the time. He's not on like a world tour. He's even actually said, hasn't he, that he likes to be able to focus on the stuff that he doesn't want to do too much outside because it detracts from from the job. All he wants to do is race. So it, I think that speaks to what a phenomenon he is on track and that sort of authenticity of character off it. You might not like it. Certainly, he's quite divisive, I think, among certain fan bases, but you can't doubt the authenticity of it. He's pretty blunt. He's pretty to the point. So it's almost like that swell of support has happened, partly through the, obviously, like the national pride, the the fact that Eric says he is the the biggest star in the Netherlands, but then just that, just just who he is and, and how he drives just means people, I guess, naturally gravitate towards him. Yeah, yeah, but he's like... Because he's raced, of course, he's raced more or less on a racetrack, on a go-kart track. Um, he is qu- he is like streetwise as well. He knows very quickly how to um, who he can trust. Um, he has a very good connection with his engineers. Um, so he's quite smart in that perspective as well. But what Scott said is right. He is more he's focused on racing. If he has a weekend off, a lot of times at the weekend he's doing a twenty-four hour sim race or something. But yeah, he's he's also with family and he has family friends and he likes to uh, be in touch with them. But to talk with us, the media, he, he likes to talk about racing and then he can be quite outspoken about a lot of things. So it's you can always make a good story with him. He always ha- gives you something in that perspective, but it's also it's more or less about racing. But that's his, his choice, of course. And he knows when he said something that... Um that he's quite happy with because he's a, there's a bit of a Max Verstappen smirk when he said something. He knows he's given you something to bite on. I think a good example was when we were in Hungary. We were talking about it just before 
we started recording when he said that the uh, the FIA stewards, who Max seems to be constantly at war with this season, said that they treat the drivers like amateurs. And then as soon as he said that, you know, he's just like, "Yep, I've done my part there." Yeah, yeah, and it was and it was after qualifying for him because he was on P10 because of the engine problems. Um, but that's that's what I like about him. He was so furious on the radio during qualifying. He was furious the minutes after because he took some time to come to the TV pen. And then he was quite relaxed. And you saw it last year as well when he had a failure with the tire in Baku. Uh, he took his time off and then he came to, to talk with the journalist and he was so relaxed and so he took all the time. And then he can you can speak with him whatever you want because the track limits was not an uh, actual thing for him that moment in the qualifying. But still he, he makes the time to, to give his opinion. And of course he knew that what he was saying was quite, uh, yeah, was good for our headlines. Yeah. Does he go further in Dutch when he's speaking to Dutch media than he does in English? Obviously, we look at Google translated quotes and that kind of thing, but that's not a great way to get the overall tone. But you do see, for example, Alonso tends to be a bit more aggressive even with the Spanish media than he is in English language. Does Max go further or is he just the same, just in a different language? Well, um, of course, his English is really good, but I think in Dutch, um, especially when you have like an informal session, where you're not with too many people or you just have a one-on-one and talk in Dutch a little bit, then he is, I think, slightly more comfortable in his own language. So he's always going to say a little bit more. But sometimes you have an English session first. So then if there's a Dutch session, you know, okay, you can ask this and this because it was not in the English session. Like an example was Austria this year when he was in the press conference from the FIA. And then we had a, a small session for the Dutch media and I asked him, um, something about the comments Lewis made the week before after Silverstone about Leclerc, that Leclerc was more a sensible driver than Max. And of course, he knew that question was coming. So, uh, But then he had a really good answer as well. And then maybe it helps if it's in his own language. Yeah, that's always interesting to see how, how different it is. Sometimes they're a bit more comfortable with their native media, the drivers, or they know they'll get a, a fairer crack of the whip with things, shall we say, because obviously that's one of the, the dangers quotes do sometimes get distorted but Scott we have to say Verstappen is is a big character now isn't he he's had those years of of ramping up and picking the odd victory but the last 18 months he's just exploded as just a global sporting personality hasn't he yeah he has Uh, like I said um, he's uh, he's divisive I think um, I think some people like the the bluntness I don't I don't know if I'd say Max is in your face but he's just yeah, just coming back to that point about him being honest, it just means that whatever he thinks of something, whether you like it or not, like it, it is just going to be there staring at you in the face. You can't, it's it's a bit harder to read between the lines of someone who's not playing games in terms of what he says. It, it's just pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, but what that does do is those that do get behind him, get behind him in a massive way. And those that oppose him, think everything he says is uh, taking things too far and he's too controversial. And what that means is he's basically at both ends of the spectrum, which just means everything he says or does is just going to explode one way or the other. It's either going to have a massive groundswell of support or it's going to have massive division and anger. And actually, in that sense, even though they go about things in totally different ways, he's not too dissimilar from, from Hamilton. In, in that regard, Hamilton can't do or, or say anything without people either absolutely loving him for it or absolutely hating him for it. And we see a few other drivers going that way as well. Charles Leclerc's got that a little bit. After the French Grand Prix, when he crashed, 
He knew that was an accident. We knew that was an accident. The team knew that was an accident. The uh, Charles Leclerc fans didn't. They were adamant. Oh, he's, he's apologised. He's taken the blame for this too quickly. This is Ferrari's fault. Ferrari is screwing him over. All of this. The the superstars, when as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they just get this level of partisan following that just evades the the good drivers. Not to say that they're they're bad by any means, but like the when when you get nearer to superstar status, you just get that level of support. And I think we can put Verstappen in that bracket now. I, I still I think it's fair to say that it's still not on uh, necessarily a Hamilton level globally, just because Lewis has been around for too long and Lewis does have a bit of a bigger personal brand he is a bit more interested in pursuing things outside of motorsport so that puts him in other spheres people are aware of him for slightly different reasons before um or just after Hungary when we came into the summer break there was the announcement that Lewis I think has bought a stake in is it the Denver Broncos the NFL franchise I don't see Max branching out in quite the same way yet he's probably maybe in a few years time but Max has got what 15 years probably left of his F1 career at least so he doesn't have to worry about that too much just yet but the um the star is still rising I think with Max it's already burning pretty damn brightly but it's going to be interesting to see how far it can go is he going to be interested in pursuing things a little bit more or is he just going to be quite happy on his sim rig between races and also driving? Is is it a Porsche GT3 car he likes to wheel out and test? So he's pretty relentless on the driving side still. Yeah, two days in uh, Mugello, I think. Yeah, but um, I think his management and him, they are quite keen on it as well. They, Of course, he could have like uh, 50 sponsor deals on, and stuff like that, but they only choose the ones that feels like very good to, uh, for him. And as well, all the things people say, you're right. I think there are a lot of people who doesn't like him as well. Um, but then you can do two things as a big sportsman. You can say less that you're not being that honest anymore in, in the media uh, and just be polite because, you know, people are commenting on you or, you or you just can say, okay, I don't care. And I think that's what he and Lewis does the same things. They do whatever they want. They say whatever they want and they... They stand for their opinion. I think that's very, really strong. And um, yeah, Max, for example, he can be on. Yeah, of course, he lives in uh, Monaco, but he could be in every TV show in the Netherlands for uh, yeah every night. But you never see him that much because he say, okay, I'm I'm not like to do. I'm not a clown. I'm only doing what I what I do. And I think yeah, that helps his brand as well. And what was it last year when the survey came out that he was the most popular Formula One driver in in the, in the states? And he is not even uh, he was not even in the Netflix documentary. So yeah, that says a little bit as well. Yeah, a very clear way of doing things for Verstappen. But Scott, let's move on to the topic of where Verstappen ranks almost with what he's achieved, particularly over the past eighteen months. We've long talked about him being on this road to establishing himself as an F one great. It's difficult to imagine he won't secure that second world championship this year. He's won 28 races now, so that's eight on the all-time list. So he's behind Hamilton, Schumacher, Vettel, Prost, Senna, Alonso and Mansell. Would you say he's now in that bracket of all-time greats, even though he's still relatively young? Um, yeah, because the, when, when, when people talk about the great drivers and ranking them, I, I don't... I don't think you can do a straight binary list of like, you know, positions one through 10 or anything like that. I, I always liked it. I, I think you see it more in American sports. I don't know if you guys are familiar of it. They're sort of like the sort of tier pyramid almost where you have t groups of dr groups of athletes or, or sports people rather than like one by one. And Max, I think last year, I think his world championship especially, I still think he had a great year last year. 
But his World Championship in particular, I think, put him into that that second tier um, of drivers. And I, that second tier of drivers isn't just populated by one-time world champions. I would put your, the likes of, you know, like Mika Hakkinen and guys like that in, in, in that group, certainly. But your, your, um, your top tier, I think, are people who change the way the, the game is done, basically. So your multiple world champions or your superstar drivers whom, you know, I, I don't really know, I, I don't know enough about someone like Sterling Moss to know if, if you should put him in the absolute top tier. A lot of people who know a lot more than me say you should because of the way he upped the level of driver you had to be in his era. So that's absolutely fine. There are different criteria. Obviously, it's all, it's all entirely down to your own opinion. I would put Max now on the verge of breaking into that that top tier he's I would be stunned if he's not a double world champion by the end of this season lord only knows what has to happen to stop that being the case so he's going to have he's going to be a multiple world champion he is I think changing the game in terms of what you need to be in the modern era Hamilton had already done that Hamilton's work ethic away from the track is chronically underrated he's really really good at building a team Hamilton sort of extended that Schumacher-esque mould of build the team around you, be relentless, don't accept anything as second best. That's what Lewis is absolutely fantastic at. Max is raising the bar in terms of how committed you need to be. Because as Eric was saying earlier, like he's just happy, he just wants to drive. He was raised on a racetrack. He's been doing this since he was a since he was a, a small child. He's still doing it now, sim racing, driving road cars or, or performance cars on tracks, constantly searching for ways to make himself better. If you want to be as good as Max Verstappen, now or in the future, you have to be racing carts at three, four, five years old. You have to be living, breathing the sport every day of your life through your childhood. That's a massive commitment. I know that it's very, very controversial the way Jos moulded Max in that image in not leaving any stone unturned. Max, you could argue, is the first ever really purpose-built F1 driver, you know, bred to be an F1 driver. And I know that that's controversial. I'm not here to glorify that. But if you look at it purely from a results perspective, what that's turned him into, it, it, it's an incredible force of, of nature. And that's why I would put start to put him in that absolute top tier because he's changing what the level is for those that follow him. And I think that's what puts him slightly above someone like Leclerc now, because I just don't think Leclerc is quite on that, that same level. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll realise that, oh, actually, we need to up our game to be with this guy. Maybe the next generation are already doing the same thing. But it's very, very, it is a unique situation, someone like Verstappen. And that's why I think you put him right near the very top. Yeah, you... Uh, if you, it's always difficult to compare this kind of things. But uh, Scott is right. I think you don't have to look at the statistics, statistics only because, of course, there are more races now. Cars are more reliable than in the past. Uh, but you also you look what what does someone change in the sport? And Max came in the sport. He didn't have his driver license. Um, they changed that rules after he was um, uh, in the Formula One. But he was in Formula One when he was seventeen years old and. Um, yeah, it's, it's driving style. I think there are a lot of more fans for Formula One, and not only in the Netherlands, because he has a lot of fans abroad as well that are watching Formula One now because of him. And uh, I was talking about the Netflix documentary. It's also a reason that Dominicali, Stefano Dominicali, really wanted him to be back in that Netflix documentary because he is one of the biggest star now, maybe the biggest star. So he needs to be in it. Then I think they um, they find a solution. Um, in that um in that case but yeah he is still what i like about him is dedication is 
you saw it this year as well. How many races did he won? Eight, nine races this year already. And, and he is, after almost every race, he says, we have to do better. We didn't have a great weekend. We have to do, uh, the car has to be more uh, lighter. We have to um, pushing the boundaries. And even last year when he got pole position in Austria, he was talking to me like he, he was on P6 or something because he didn't, he was not that happy about his lap. So he's always looking to be better and to have a perfect lap. And I think even the, the first world title maybe took a little bit pressure off his shoulders because that one is in the back, but um, he only wants more. And that I think if you're a true sportsman, and of course he's only 24 years old still, you need to have that dedication because otherwise you're going down and not going up. That That's the kind of commitment that we saw Schumacher bring into to Formula One and, and drivers before him, absolutely. But I, I've always often heard it referred to as Schumacher sort of professionalised the genre to a to a level that wasn't there before. Then guys like Alonso took that to a new level. Hamilton uh, uh, as well, That what Eric was saying there about Max's just relentlessness for in the pursuit of, of perfection. That, that, is, that is a defining Hamilton trait. And it's something that Hamilton's got really, really effective at in the latter part of his career. And I think Max, partly because of that education when he was younger from Jos, but partly because he, I think he is an astute driver. He has seen what other drivers have done. He's seen what Lewis has built at Mercedes and knows he has the opportunity and had the opportunity to do that at Red Bull. So now Max is able to pick up that and apply that trait earlier in his career, which could be done to devastating effect. Ultimately, like Lewis had a big, big shift in his career halfway through with the McLaren switch. And obviously now it's become dominated by his time at, at Mercedes, but that was an element of upheaval in the middle of his career. Now, I don't think Verstappen and Red Bull are immune to the realities of Formula One. If Red Bull starts to trail off, I think Max would only be wise to reconsider and look elsewhere what, what is best for him in any given moment. But Max could conceivably have an element of stability from the start of his career all the way through to his peak where there isn't any disruption like that. And the way he will continue to chip away at trying to be the best every single time. He's been absolutely devastatingly blunt with Red Bull sometimes this year, even in public about how unhappy he's been. Miami was a good example, even though he won that race and actually they were relatively comfortable on the Sunday. They, they just had Ferrari and Leclerc at arm's length, especially after Max passed him on track. But he was after the race complaining about, was it the gearbox problem or whatever it was that he had on the Friday? Because he said, this could have completely derailed our weekend. It, he was furious about a hypothetical problem. So that that is another good example of just what Verstappen is is striving to be. And that is someone who just doesn't settle for anything less than the absolute best. The thing I do like about Verstappen is right from the start in F1, he's always been someone who's not just driving around. He's always working, thinking, trialling. I remember watching the first time he drove on a Grand Prix weekend at Suzuka in 2014. So he'd been confirmed as a race driver. I remember going out in FP1 and watching through the, the snake, the S's in the first part of the lap, very technical part of the track. And you could see him not just sort of hanging on to the car and and just driving it, but you could see him changing the approach, learning, and you saw that progression through the uh, the whole session. Right from the start, as a ridiculously young driver, he clearly had that intelligence, and, and I think that's really stands him in such good stead. And we, Eric, what do you make of that? Do you think he's just a driver who's not just always pushing, but he always seems to be thinking, doesn't he? There's always some purpose behind what he's doing on track. Yeah, I think you saw it very well last year when we had some new tracks on the calendar. 
like um, Qatar, Jeddah. Uh, it's always nice to see the first practice session. And then his first flying lap is always very good. He's always in the, in, on the top of the timing sheet. He, that's why he doesn't do a track walk that often. Okay, on a new track he does it, but then he only needs one warm-up lap, and then he's on the pace immediately. That's yeah, people you who you speak with. They are very, they are still very complimentous about that. And I spoke with David Coulthard a few weeks ago. That he talked about um, race day in Zandvoort a few years ago. There was a Verstappen day, a fan day with uh, Ricciardo, Coulthard, and and, uh, and Max in an, one of the old Red Bull cars. I think an RB seven or six or something, but. Coulthard said Ricciardo was so, he was almost tense. He was so, uh, he did it so, he was so slow because he was so scared to damage the car or something. And Coulthard said, okay, I was quite pushy, but not taking it 100%, maybe 80, 90%. And Max was just flying. And that was on the training day. Of course, he was not going to the limit, but he is so comfortable in a race car. He has so much confidence in his own ability that it's more easy for him, I think, to go to the limit because he knows a mis- he can, of course, he can make a mistake. He makes mistakes as well. He's not a robot, but there's a smaller chance. Yeah, no question. A, a remarkable driver. And I think in terms of that pathway to greatness that we were talking about, he's there in one way, shape or form, and it's just going to require his career to play out for us to know what the full impact Max Verstappen will have. But I imagine it will be profound Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Eric, although Verstappen has had a huge amount of success this year, he's won eight out of 13 races, the Red Bull RB18 hasn't actually been entirely to his liking. So how do you think he's handled that battle to get the stronger front end he wants? And is it really the car that he wants as yet? No. (laughs) And he's 80 points ahead. So, uh, (laughs) But I think if you look at all the race weekends so far this year, how many race weekends did he actually have a dominant car? Maybe one, two, maybe in the rain. If you look at pure pace, especially on the Fridays, and they were sometimes so far behind Ferrari. And of course, we know the reasons. Sometimes Max make the difference or the strategy of Red Bull. Of course, Ferrari made a few um, mistakes. Uh, Leclerc made a few mistakes. So, of course, there are reasons for it. But especially the one, the, the pace on, on one lap on Saturday in the qualifying, he is um, not comfortable yet. But I think they made some good steps. But of course, especially in the street circuits, Monaco, Baku, he was struggling. He was struggling more than Checo, his teammate, because every driver, they don't like understeer or oversteer. But if Max can choose, he chooses oversteer to have. But he had understeer a lot of times because the front end of the car was not doing what he wanted. And of course, on a street circuit, you have like the 90 degrees corners and stuff like that. Um, And he was not comfortable in it. And his engineers said the same. And they said... We, we try to work on the car and you will see on other tracks that that he is more com- comfortable in the car and that, yeah, that worked out as well. But I think they made some steps for him. And of course, you cannot do everything because it also depends a little bit on the Pierre tire of this year. The front is a little bit more weaker than they expected at Red Bull. But yeah, I think the last couple of weeks before the summer break, you could see that he was more 
um, yeah, it was b- better in shape, but yeah, also depending a little bit on the track. And I think a big thing is as well the weight of the car. The Red Bull is still too heavy, and it, especially in the um, in the high speed corners, you feel that. So um, um, yeah, and then the qualifying lap that can cost you one or two tenths as well. So I think after the summer break, when they are a little bit lighter, I think they get a new chassis. Uh, so in one of the races after the summer break, I think in Singapore, then that helps a little bit as well. You mentioned the um, couple of races before the summer break. A good example of the way Verstappen was almost just maybe unshackled a little bit was the the gap to Perez. Those few races and Perez complained a little bit about how the development of the car had gone away from him. He was he's just a bit more naturally in tune with that weaker front end and a bit more of a a, a benign balance. Um, as, as those upgrades came in and Red Bull started to tune the car to have a higher ceiling, it was Verstappen who was able to go with it. I don't, it's, it's a curious one. I don't know if it's necessarily Perez doing worse. It's just Perez staying at that level and then Verstappen going up. We've seen this before there with different drivers in different rule cycles. There's always a way for the rules and the cars to impose an artificial limit on what you can do. And earlier in the season, I think there was this, what the Red Bull, what the RB18's level at 100% was, was just a little bit lower. And Max was hitting it, but it was also easier for Perez to hit it because that there was that, that lower ceiling. And then you had two or three circuits where Perez was just actually even more comfortable to a degree where he was actually slightly quicker. And we'd see Max get there in the end. Monaco was a good example where Perez just seemed to hit the ground running and Max chipped away at it. And, by the, and it was a bit convenient for him to say and for everybody to say that you know by this time he got into those final q3 runs he was there he, he could have done it but actually the evidence of the weekend did support that trajectory he, he was getting quicker and quicker um so so you had these specific circumstances where Perez was if not the stronger rebel driver certainly damn close to Max's level but then we've just seen that change and we the last few races were a little bit back towards what we've been familiar with for the last three or four years, which is as soon as that Red Bull has a bit more instability on the rear, which is crucial, Ed, you always say this, but rotation is instability. You need instability to rotate the car properly. Max is the one who can live with that. And that's why I think it's it's been impressive because he has still been winning races when the car wasn't to his liking. The car's come more to his liking and he's being even more impactful with it it doesn't mean he's perfect it doesn't mean that everything's going to go his way the Austrian Grand Prix was a good example him and Red Bull were pretty baffled afterwards that it had gone so far away from him at the end of the weekend but this just comes back to what we were saying before which is that Max knows that you you can't take anything for granted so keep pushing understand right why didn't we get why were the tires not working the way we thought they were why did this go away from us just keep asking why and then you just end up getting to the point where you, you at least have answers for your problems. But I agree that we're probably not going to see Max in a car that really, really brings the best out of him until next year when hopefully Pirelli do bring this stronger front tyre that they're aiming to, to bring. And the Red Bulls had a few sort of fundamental changes because sometimes with this sort of thing, weight being an issue that Eric talked about, sometimes there are things that you can't change in season. You do have to wait for a slightly bigger car overhaul year to year. So then probably next year we'll see Max in a car that's a little bit more well-suited to him. But by then, he will still be a two-time world champion, having potentially won more races than any driver in a single season. Because I, I think that is I think that is realistic this year. Yeah, that's possible. The other thing is the way the regs are, they're not great in terms of aero load into slow corners in particular. 
So you, that contributes to the weak front end. And there's ways you can change that with control of the aero center of pressure. Red Bull was very good at that under the previous regulations with the, the high rate cars and the way that the, the front would dive with steering lock applied and that kind of thing. So that they're working at that. But the point you made that you referenced there is, yeah, the more you give a driver, the more tools where they, whereby they can manipulate what the car's doing, the better. But it just gets more complicated, which is why terms like instability we throw around. One driver's instability is another driver's stability in that as long as it's controllable, you can do it. And that's that's what Verstappen does. He's able to be more on that limit where you've got more input almost as a driver, but that makes it more difficult. And that's why if you're Red Bull, you develop in that direction because you've got a driver who can exploit that not easy to do so phenomenally able but one of the things eric is that although verstappen has said several times that he wants that greater front load he's never complained so much about the way the car is if you see what i mean and that he's not said oh this is making me rubbish i can't deal with this it's just been well yeah i prefer it this way but it's okay as it is so he's always seems to have been constructive and not kind of thrown his toys out the pram about the way things are working yeah he'll tell the team I want this, but he'll work with what he's got. Yeah, he is honest, but at some point, uh, because he, he he is not saying ev- everything to us or in the media and the public, but I have to say on some Saturdays, he was quite outspoken about the car, but then he already, he of course knew that on the Saturday, you don't earn points and he has uh, confidence in his own racecraft in the car on Sunday. The race pace of the Red Bull is quite decent at, the, at uh, the most weekends this year and then you saw he, w- he could make some revenge as well I think Baku was a good example because he was struggling in qualifying but he won the race and it was the race after Monaco when he was quite furious because of course he was a- ahead of Leclerc but he was behind his teammate and he doesn't like that and of course it was because of the Saturday I think because of Paris spun before the tunnel in Monaco because Max was quicker in his last lap so then he is only thinking, okay, I could have won this race because I see Checo winning this race, but I could have won the race. Um, and then you see the weeks after he's bouncing back like, uh, yeah, like a world champion. And then you see the difference be- between Perez and Max. And last year, Perez had, he needed months to adapt to the RB16B with the high rate concept. And Max, of course, this car is not to his liking completely, but he still uh, is able to adapt to a car that is not really comfortable for him so of course he's not happy all the time but he can still take the most out of the car almost the most out of the car and that of course is a is a yeah as a race car driver that's that's what you need one thing i would say and this is not to counter eric's point but more sort of the way you phrased the question to begin with ed is that i do think we did see earlier the this year the, the that emotional side of max where he he, he does risk sometimes just losing control of a situation a bit. And I, and I do wonder if the fact that the Ferrari challenge has imploded has just made it a bit easier for him to cope with those days where Rebel doesn't get it quite right. If you look at Spain was the turning point when Leclerc retired from that race. And since then, it's just been a runaway train of, of disasters for Ferrari. They've just found so many ways to mess it up. But I remember, I just think those first five races where Max was under pressure, Red Bull were under pressure because Red Bull had dropped the ball in two of those first three races with those retirements. And that's when I think it was absolute peak pressure mentally and emotionally for Max to deal with because every problem thereafter was massive. He was already on the back foot. He was, what, 43 points behind Leclerc? 46. 
yeah, it, it was so far behind. So, so I understand it. I, I like, I'm not saying he's in the wrong for this at all, but you could hear it. And and I, I always try not to judge drivers too much for what they're saying on the radio because that is when they're peak levels of upset. But I don't think we've heard anything quite like the way Max was in. Um, Miami over the radio, for for example, or or in Spain when he had the DRS problems in and impacted in qualifying and that and that kind of thing. There were moments there where it felt like the naturally it was a much more stressful situation. So I think it gets under a driver's skin a lot easier. So I'm not saying that he has been completely saved by Ferrari's implosion or, or anything like that, but it does it does feel like it's just given him and Red Bull a bit more space to deal with those small errors. Him and Rebel have got on top of them a lot more as well, which has certainly helped. But there, there is that element of Max, as Eric said earlier, is not a robot. So he hasn't had certain buttons pressed in the second part of the first half of the season as he did in those first five or six races. Yes, and of course, an 80 points gap or 60 points gap can help you as well to not take all the risks. Like doing a start, you saw the Hungary was a good example. He didn't take all the risks because he had to stay out of trouble. But what is quite difficult when you're starting from P10 in that first corner at the Hungaro ring. But what helps him a little bit to push the team is that they they don't have the quickest car all the weekends. Um, in Hungary, they had a lot of problems. On Friday, they way they were way off the pace. Uh, on Saturday, they had um, the engine failure at, uh, at Q3. On Sunday, he had a problem with his um, uh, upshift. Uh, and so he had a lot of problems during the weekend. You forget it because he won the race and Ferrari had a disastrous race as well. But it is not going that smooth at Rebel all the time as well. And it's diff- it's strange to say if you're 80 points gap. But that helps him as well a little bit to push and I think he always looks at himself first and then to the gap and the points and to the other drivers, but he wants to have a perfect weekend. And of course, a perfect weekend is almost um, impossible in Formula 1, but he's always wants to have a perfect weekend and he's always pushing the team and the team pushes him as well. And that's, I think, um, yeah, that's the only uh, way to go in Formula 1. It's interesting the point you make about when things are pressured and a bit more stressed. Obviously, we saw at the back end of last season when Mercedes and Hamilton were on that good run. I would say probably last year, the one time where perhaps Verstappen did seem to be not losing control, but just being that little bit too overly aggressive for his own good was maybe Saudi Arabia when he was always going for those moves. And that was obviously the the kind of peak of the championship. It was potentially slipping away from them. So I guess that's that's the big question, isn't it? Next time he's in a, in a championship fight, is that an area of weakness that can be exploited? And you see that with any driver involved in those sorts of things. You know, the intensity, particularly last year, which was a probably the most intense championship fight there has ever been. And there was plenty of uh, <laughs> plenty of people on, on the team side who were uh, showing the pressure. But it, it, it's an interesting little question as to how things could have been different this year. Yeah, I just think it's worth pointing out as well that um, we, we see this with Lewis. The season that Max is putting together now, as he begins to run away with it, it's reminded me a bit of those seasons like Lewis had in 2020, that kind of thing where, okay, you might not have, um, you might not have immediate mega opposition in the championship, but race to race, you do have a lot of pressure to deal with. You do have certain situations. You just have to be at your best 
and you have to rack up the points. So very quickly, it turns into a massive championship lead that makes it look like race to race. It hasn't actually been that difficult. That was what that was always the accusation against Lewis when he was winning all these championships. Was that oh, you know, he'd had it easy? He's like, well, no, he'd he'd actually just been really good. And yeah, he had a car advantage, but he was so good, he was making it look easy. And the longer this go this season goes on, we're seeing a little bit of a repeat with Max. He has got more direct competition race to race than than Hamilton often had but he he is the one who is using the the fact he's got a big championship lead the fact that he has the the experience and maybe the reduced pressure of having a championship in the pocket you know he's not as nervous perhaps he he doesn't get quite as carried away as he he did before and he's bringing all that together and just doing doing a fantastic job. Ferrari and Leclerc certainly are making it a bit easier for him. They've, they've dropped over like 100 points now, um, which is <laughs> absolutely astronomical. But that shouldn't take away from the job that Max, is, Max and Red Bull are doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I wrote it, I think, after the f- race in France as well, that it's the, easy to say, okay, Max is... P1 or will be champion again because of Ferrari. Of course, the gap is bigger than it should be because of Ferrari. But if you look at how consistent Max drove the last few years, I think if you look at all his results, maybe the last time was Russia 19, where he was not on the podium, not because of a uh, engine failure or a mechanical failure or a crash or something. So that's 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 incredible that's a that's a big constant line um i think we we never should have a 10 season season like last year because red bull mercedes is different than red bull ferrari if you look at the battle but what we miss a little bit the last couple of weeks or months is the battle we saw between Charles and max at the beginning of the season like in Jeddah and in bahrain before max's dnf um of course they had some battles but it was like not that not as equal equal like leclerc passing max in austria the pace difference was too big uh max and uh, leclerc in hungary the pace dif- was too big because of the hard tire of the of the ferrari um so maybe i hope in the second half of the season we get a little bit more of the fights but then again max doesn't have to take all the risk because he has such an advantage when you look at the championship yeah he's just very in control Verstappen and, and rightly so he's he's earned that position but yeah last year well we had him down as the best driver of the year but you know the championship position showed that but just in terms of how he was performing so few mistakes obviously Hamilton made a few more big mistakes last year and that that made a difference but yeah he's just been great and even when he does make mistakes such as in Hungary when he had that spin lost four seconds beautiful recovery wasn't remotely worried about being able to catch him past Leclerc yeah Leclerc was slow on the hearts but just doesn't let things derail him there's actually that Hungary spin has just reminded me of something. When I, I did an interview with Max in Hungary in 2019, after he won the German Grand Prix with that 360 degree spin. Um, and do you remember in that race, in, in that race as well, Lewis went off at the same place that I think Leclerc and Hulkenberg went off? But Lewis, unlike the other two, kept it out. He damaged his front wing, but he kept it out of the barrier. And I spoke to Max and I jokingly said to him, Ah, uh, yeah, but he, the, you two are so good that even when you crash, you crash better than other people. And Max said, Max said, in all sincerity, no, no, that's true. There, there, he, he said, and he didn't use himself as an example. He said, that, he said there was a reason that Leclerc and Hulkenberg put it in the wall, but Lewis corrected it enough. He'd noticed it. He, 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 he handled it so well, so quickly 
that it was he was just that fraction bit more ahead of the accident than a Hulkenberg or a Leclerc was. And I just thought that was such an interesting mindset because he wasn't talking about himself. He was actually talking about Hamilton in, 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 in this situation. But even then, Max was sort of like, actually, I think that there are just these little tiny things you make a difference. And, and I know it sounds super convenient to say that when it's easy to watch a, a spin like he had in Hungary and think how much control over that does a driver have. But, but there is a degree of control even when you look like you're totally out of control. So I just thought that was quite interesting because it, 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 remind, it reminded me um, it reminded me of that conversation. And I thought Max was um, I thought Max was uh, was was having me on at one point when he was starting to talk about that, but he was being completely sincere about it. That is something that used to be said about Michael Schumacher as well. He made sure he knew where the recovery roads and that kind of thing were. So if he found himself off the track, obviously you have the bandwidth to remember that and know where to go, etc. There's always a little bit of luck involved in it. But yeah, the, the best drivers respond to that sort of thing very very well just because they've got the capacity to yeah you you can make a more uh, nice compilation um, of max in the 360 you had the one in uh, the recovery was not in was it the 360 in brazil uh 16 uh in the race went sideways yeah, didn't he? Yeah. he was broadside for a bit <laughs> that was so impressive and then it helps a little bit of course it's uh, talking easily now after a race but it helps a little bit to, to glorify the race because you win a race or you have a great result, even with a 360 or a recovery or thing like that. And um, it shows also, especially with these cars, they are so heavy because sometimes the, tail, the wind can change and it can be so difficult. And it's difficult for us as well to see on the television. But uh, sometimes it's difficult for drivers not to make a mistake. And that's always what Max says, that it's it's not as easy as it looks like sometimes. But... At the other hand, a mistake Charles made in um, in France, uh, just at the moment when he had to push because Max made his first uh, pit stop. I, I yeah, of course it's, it's easy to say now, but I cannot see Max making that mistake at that moment uh, in this phase of his career. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, Scott, we'll be heading to Spa shortly for the second half of the season, albeit it's a lopsided year with just nine Grand Prix left. Do you think there's any way it just won't be more of the same in terms of the remaining races? You mentioned the possibility of Verstappen getting that wins in a season record. What's that, 13 for Vettel in 2013? It's the mark. He's not far off that, but do you think it's just going to be that or will he be, not challenged a bit more, but will Ferrari perhaps ask Red Bull and Verstappen to win a bit more rather than handing it to them, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I can see a bit of um, a bit of a repeat of what we've seen in the past with um, uh, my exact seasons. I might be muddling them up here, but so it's, you know, sort of 17, 18, 19, where 
three teams are in the picture. There's no championship fight anymore. The narrative in that sense has long gone. But race by race, we actually have a bunch of interesting situations because there's no reason... Uh, I'm going to sound like Mattia Bonotto here, no reason why they can't win every race before the end of the season. But if the Ferrari's as good as it has been the first 12 races, they should be fighting for poles and victories at pretty much every circuit. And the Merck is getting more and more competitive and Lewis and George are doing a very, very good job. And while it still sometimes doesn't always come together for Hamilton, like his race in Hungary showed... I actually thought both him and Verstappen in Hungary showed why they're just a level above someone like uh, Leclerc and Russell. Just the way you can pull pull it all together and you can just be in control of all of those different elements and then all of a sudden it's those two, the first and second at the end, and you just think, how? Well, you look at where you started on a track like this and that to me is a sign of how good they both are. So I think as that Mercedes gets better with the form that Hamilton's in, I don't see any evidence that he's diminished at all. I can see him coming into the picture. Russell showed with his pole position in Hungary that he's really, really, really not to be underestimated in, in that car. So why why can't we have three teams, and I'm going to do Checo a disservice here, but three teams and five drivers fighting for, for, for wins? I, I, don't, I don't see Checo being in the picture. Just I can see him being in that sort of second or third to fifth range quite a lot. There's no, there's nothing from the last three races to suggest that Checo can go with Max and be within sort of three tenths of him. But Max versus Leclerc versus Sainz versus Hamilton, maybe versus Russell. I don't see any reason why we can't have that at a few races before the end of the season. So Max will have his work cut out of him. Max will have his work cut out for him to get that win record over a season. But I think he should still chip away at it and tick off what he needs to do to get the title. Eric, do you think Verstappen will relish a bit more of a battle in the back end of the season? He's got the luxury of that points lead, so he can manage that sensibly. The championship should be his. Do you think he'll enjoy being able to, whether it's Hamilton or Leclerc or whoever, to just assert his authority and and show that, yeah, even when you're making it hard for me, I'm still going to do a lot of the winning? Yeah, maybe he can say afterwards if he looks at the results, because I think... When you ask him now, he, he, he should say, I will start every race from pole position and then um, be on the P1 the whole race from begin to end. But of course, a few nice battles, every race car driver will enjoy that at some level. But I think it's, it's yeah, of course, you have the lead in the championship, but it's a great season. We see a lot of battles. We see um, things we can predict. I think every weekend there's happening something we can't predict. Even the teams can't predict. Um, Hungary was supposed to be Ferrari track, Rebel one. Austria was supposed to be a Rebel track for um, Ferrari one. There. If you look at the first races after the summer break, uh, Sandford normally should be a Ferrari track, but Spa and Monza should be more like with a high speed uh, level uh, for Rebel. But uh, you also have to take in mind that they there will be coming uh, engine penalties. For both sides so maybe they will get that again in uh, already in spa because i think ferrari uh cannot do that in monza with their own tifosi on the on the stands but that can help for a few more better races as well if the if the top uh, top teams or the top drivers are starting from the from p20 or p19 so um and that can help like mercedes to to get a nice result again so i think i'm with scott with mercedes the last couple of weeks they are so consistent the especially the pace in the race is quite decent so um yeah um i think we we get a nice season it's not a boring season we we had some boring seasons with 
uh, Mercedes dominance or Red Bull dominance in the past with Vettel. But I think this is an all different season because Red Bull is not that dominant. Um, so I think we, um, even the championship is, yeah, is not that tense as last year, to, to put it mildly. Um, I think we can have a great season again. I wanted to ask about was Zandvoort. Obviously, we go there after Spa. As you said, that could well be a Ferrari track. Do you think that pressure of expectation plays a part there? Obviously, the race, it's it's Max Verstappen's race, isn't it? It only exists because of him. And, you know, with Lewis Hamilton, for example, there's almost a responsibility he feels to deliver for the Silverstone fans. Do you think Max has the same kind of thing that, you know, he knows he needs to win that weekend and it could be difficult because if the Ferrari is quicker, even if the Red Bull's in a better position in the in the race, it's not the easiest track to pass at. Yeah, I think in a Formula One car it's different than on a football pitch where the public really can push you. But I think the Orange Army, uh, with all the public coming from him, all the fans coming from him, I think it can help, of course. Um, can it add pressure? Uh, yes, but I think the... Um, he also has his. He already has his win of last year in his back, and I think it's difficult to get a better weekend than last year of Sandford. Of course, we have full stands now. Last year was only two third because of COVID, but yeah, the weather was great. It was a great first event. Everyone, I think, everyone lost it uh, as well. The traffic, uh, logistics, everything. But yeah, it was such a good weekend also for Verstappen with pole position and the race win. So uh, you cannot expect that every year to happen, but. I think it's a weekend he loved to do it. And what the thing they did well, they managed well, was like uh, keep the pressure a little bit off him. Don't make too many agreements with sponsor deals and with interviews. Just keep it quite low uh, because everyone wants something from him. And they, they saw it with Ricciardo in the past, his former teammate with Red Bull in Australia. It was like mental. I think Ricciardo also admitted it was too much for him to fo- really focus on his um, thing uh, on the tarmac. So I think... Uh, they they manage well, and I think they will do the same this year. Um, and then, yeah, of course, uh, I think we, we see a nice battle because what I say before, that even on the tracks where we think, okay, Ferrari can win, Red Bull can, and especially in Zandvoort, it's difficult to overtake, but you can overtake maybe um, on the on the main straight. And, of course, you have the strategy, uh, strategic come in place. And, yeah, we saw Red Bull has an advantage on that on Ferrari this year. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a weekend to... to yeah, of course, we have Spa, uh, Sanford, Monza. It's a great... I think the teams, they don't like triple headers, but I think it's a great triple header. Scott, do we have to look at the second half of the season given the championships? They're not won yet, but they're probably not going away from Verstappen and Red Bull. Is this almost the, the prelude to next year in that, obviously, they're still learning about the cars chance to lay down a marker remember when Nico Rosberg won the, the championship one of the things was the momentum he built up at the back end of the previous season that helped him him to start strongly do you think we're at the point now where almost the second half of this year is a is a prelude to next year well I admire your optimism Ed because there isn't much of a championship fight to talk about this year so we kind of have to start talking about 2023 don't we um I lost count of the number of times um in this life and in a past uh in, in a past job, whenever um, Lewis had wrapped up the title with a few races to go, we started talking about like Abu Dhabi as like race zero of the following season and that and that kind of thing. It's very tempting to get into it, but when you have a stable rules cycle, everything rolls over. I mean, let's see where we get to with these floor changes for next year and if it's as dramatic a p- departure as some teams are making out, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't 
I, I think there, I think it is legitimate to treat the end of this year as a little bit of an audition for the start of next year. It obviously depends on how much cars are going to to change. There's obviously so much talk with Mercedes, for example, just to use because they've got such a specific issue this year with the lack of qualifying pace. Even though they are, they're much stronger in the in the Grand Prix. We keep hearing talk about, you know, oh, are they going to continue with their concept? But what the vast majority of people interpret as the Mercedes concept is just really something symbolic. It's that it's the side pods. What Mercedes considers its car concept actually goes so far beyond those side pods. As far as Mercedes is concerned, the the, the small side pods are just a bit of bodywork. It's stuff like the suspension and the underfloor and how everything works together. That's your concept. So how much does that how much could that change over the winter? And how much could that completely transform the performance profile of the Mercedes? So the, these are big unknown questions that just because we have a certain trend of results at the end of this year doesn't necessarily mean they'll translate in, in, into next year. But I would be I would be very optimistic for 23 if we get to Abu Dhabi and we have had all three teams, you know, fighting for poles and, and, and wins. Um, we obviously got a little bit misled by Red Bull in the past, didn't we, with all of those grand finishes because Mercedes is, was so far ahead, they turned the taps off and focused on next year. Red Bull developed to the very end and we are all like, yes, finally, next year, a title challenge. Then we turned up to Australia, wherever it was, and Merck had a dominant one too. So, yeah, let's... Uh, Let's be let's be cautiously optimistic. Let's have our glasses half full for the for the rest of the year. Well, let's finish with Eric, given he is our special guest and resident Verstappen experts. Do you think that we are in something of a Verstappen era? Is that what people are going to be looking back at in ten years' time as he's just racking up titles, second title, could easily have a third title next year? This is what we've been waiting for from him for for so long and now he's got the opportunity he seized it with both hands this this feels like this could have almost no end given what he's only 24 which seems ridiculous to say so he could, there could be another 15 years of this conceivably <laughs> yeah yeah i think we all agree we we knew at some point that at the moment he could have a competitive car then he was going to fight for the title and 2021 was the first time he had that opportunity and he took the title uh, this year, I think the car is not that competitive if you compare it with Ferrari, maybe. But of course, he is still going for a second world title. Um, so yeah, I hope um, if we have a tight f- f- fight next year, what is really uh, a good chance, of course, that we have uh, the the good thing on that is that you see the drivers can actually make the difference. We saw it last year with Max and and Lewis. Of course, they were the two superstars of Formula One, and of course, they had teammates, but they were not on that level. Um, so yeah, I think. It's 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 his time now, and um, yeah, it's he is only twenty four years old, but it's already his eighth season. Uh, I think he extended his contract at Red Bull for the second or third time in seventeen, and it was the year where he had all the uh, uh, the engine failures, and still he extended his contract. So it feels like a little bit like loyalty as well, and that it now comes back to him. But of course, we have some. Um, Things to come, maybe the Porsche deal with Red Bull, what will happen, what will happen with Red Bull, because of course, uh, Dietrich Matasic is the big boss, Helmut Marko is the big boss for the racing department, they are not the youngest uh, on in the paddock, um, so yeah, what will happen in a few years' time with that team uh, and with Max, um, so uh, but I think it's, yeah, you say 15 years if you look at this age, but uh, maybe in six or seven years he will say, I will quit. And um, I'm definite that we'll, we will not see him like 
Alonso going to Aston Martin or uh, Raikkonen at Alfa Romeo that that you just drive a race in the back of the grid. I think he will never do that because he's too competitive for it. Can you imagine Max Verstappen on the board radio, like Scott said earlier, but then in a car who is not who is who is like the ninth of the ten car of the on the grid? I think it he will quit after a few races because it's not on his level. So. Um, yeah, it, it's curious to see, but I think he, he has to enjoy this moment as well. He, he he worked so hard for this, and sometimes it's difficult for a sportsman to enjoy the moment. Um, and but you, at the other page, you cannot take it for granted that you have success because Formula One, you are so uh, you have to rely on your uh, on your mechanical things as well. So um, yeah, I think it's this area. He's so popular. Um, he's a big superstar in the sport, so um, yeah, of course it's this is his time now, and um, I hope for sure it is his time as well, and that they have kind of proper fight, and then it's for for us as fans as media, it's I think it's the best that you see a proper battle for the for P1, and we had it last year. I think we had some decent battles this year as well, and I hope in 23, like Scott said, we have three teams fighting for the championship. Yeah, I think that's what everybody wants to see, no matter which driver they're supporting. We just want to see. Great drivers going at it week after week. Well, thanks very much to special guest Eric Van Haar. It's been fantastic to have your perspective on Verstappen. And I guess also thanks to Scott for turning up. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads to read there. And for those Dutch speakers among you, remember to check out Eric's work in The Telegraph. If you'd like more to listen to, check out our other podcasts on MotoGP, IndyCar, F1 Tech, and also Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. And if video's your thing, have a look at our YouTube channel. With the Grand Prix Circus preparing to rise from its slumber, stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.